you're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Carolyn Stockdale is the Chief People and Communications Officer at First Solar and a member of the Forbes Human Resources Council. Prior to joining First Solar, Carolyn served as the CEO for First Perform, Chief People Officer for Medtronic, EVP of Global Human Resources and Business Operations for Warner Music Group, the Senior HR Leader in Global Division of American Express, and General Electric. In today's episode, Ron and Carolyn discuss the power of a strong mission, how to build an agile and innovative culture, and corporatitis is the new word, versus the mindset of being an entrepreneur. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett. And today, I've got the pleasure of having Caroline Stockdale with us. Caroline, how are you? I'm great. Glad to be here. Thank you very much for the invite. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And you're, 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 you're zooming in from Phoenix. Uh, how are things in Arizona? Um, warm, which is good <laughs> compared to the rest of the country. Um, although, uh, pertinent to, to our industry of solar, there are uh, conditions of extreme drought. <laughs> While we've watched through the rest of the year, hurricanes and uh, various interesting storms batter the rest of the country. So climate change is the thing, I guess. Uh, you know, I've got to get down there. I hear beautiful places uh, about air. Or, sorry, beautiful things about Arizona. I haven't been, and like yep. it's a bucket list place for me to get to. Uh, you definitely have to come. It is an absolutely beautiful state, tremendous variety, um, and very beautiful. You have a desert with mountains, quite extraordinary sunsets. Just a great place to be. So, so we've done your intro, but Carolyn, tell us more about just your journey, and then. You know, you are, um, you know, leading the people and culture for um, for First Solar. So, so tell us a little more about that. Yeah, you bet. Um, I my journey's probably been a little different than some. I cross functional into uh, the human resources area. Started out actually in finance, um, but found my passion with people, um, and have worked in a variety of companies from the largest like GE all the way through to having a startup and run my own business for quite a number of years before being tempted back into the corporate sector um, by the mission of First Solar. Um, and essentially that is so key, that passion for uh, sustainable renewable energy um, and things that will positively impact the climate is something that really draws you in. And that's what drew me in, that and the people. That I yeah, because before this was, were you running your own business right before this role? Yeah. So, so yeah. what? So, what a powerful mission! I mean, you you were, you know, in charge yeah. of your own destiny. You know, um, running your yeah. own business, and this mission drew you in. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. Absolutely. And so, it's about look. I mean, it's about at this point in my career, uh, it's not about proving anything to anybody. It is important to try and, um, if you can, leverage your capabilities to help um, create a future, both from a talent standpoint and from working with a business that will truly make a difference to the future of the planet and the world. Yeah, I love that. Huge. So, 
I'm curious, rewind a little bit. How did they get that message in front of you? Were you just reading something? Did a friend call and you have coffee with them and they no. explain this company? What yeah, happened? No. I, I got a call um, of, you know, you look, you really should go talk to this company. because I, I've always been very mission driven, right? I mean, I've worked in the past companies like Medtronic, again, a really strong mission around health. Um, even the music industry that I was working in, listen, people in the music industry have a passion and a mission around music and what an important role that plays in people's lives. So um, this, when I started the conversations, uh, I couldn't resist, right? I, I mean, it's, it's always been, the environment has always been a passion of mine um, and something that I truly believe we need to think about from a legacy standpoint for our children and their children. And so um, I agreed to come start conversations with the business. And it was also that intersect where I felt um, that I could help. I could really help in terms of putting in place a people strategy um, that would help the business move forward. So, so I, I'm also curious, so strong mission, you know, a, a change the world type mission and industry. But what was the culture when you walked in, when you said, it looked like I could help? Was it, was it, wow, I'm going to flip this, you know, really um, make some, some cultural changes and, and transformation or just tighten things up because it's already strong? What did it look like? Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting combination because you, this industry attracts people who have the same um, vision, mission, and passion around um, solar energy. And so, um, there are aspects of this culture that are extraordinary and that you really want to keep. And that's things like the connection to the mission. There are just good people in this business who are naturally wired to want to help, um, just, just given the way um, that they think about life in the world. And there are um, aspects of the processes and the strategy that was in place that weren't enabling the business as they could. And so that's, that's what we've been tackling is to really think about how do we get better at um, all of the core processes to tie them into what the business is trying to do. Mm. So you were systemizing the culture. Well, I think that it's, uh, the culture is essentially, to my mind, the people first and foremost, right? Mm. I mean, that's who creates the culture. But you can lock that down or enable it through the underlying processes and systems that you have in place. Right. But, right? but it's interesting because I think people, you know, and, and I really am saying that, you know, we always say cultures by default or design. You're a small company. It's by default, typically driven by the founder or, or, or small yeah. leadership team. And then if you don't, if you let it continue to build by default and you don't design it around systems and processes, right. so cultural screening, onboarding, coaching, those types right. of things, then, then, it, then it, it, it's very difficult to sustain. And I think people underestimate the importance and the fact that you can systemize just like you would yep. and strategize around your culture. And it's a strong topic, correct? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And there are critical, we um, have three core values that are around agility, which is absolutely essential in this business. I mean, affectionately, we call the experience at First Solar, the solar coaster, because of the rapidity of movement in this industry. I mean, it's a very dynamic market. It's a very dynamic space. And so agility has to be key. Collaboration is the second value, and that, that should be fairly obvious. But 
we have an interesting mix of um, different functionalities in the business that have to work closely together from the manufacturing side through the R&D, the engineers, you know, all of us have to come together to, to make this work. And then the third one is accountability. And um, I, ju I just want to spend a second there because I think accountability can often get weaponized, right? And that by that, I mean the finger pointing type of culture where, Ron, I'm holding you accountable for doing this rather than the concept that we're trying to build here um, based on uh, the work of a lot of great people, uh, not me, like Sad Wakeman and others who have phenomenal thinking around this. But personal accountability is I own it, right? So if I am trying to get something done, then I, Caroline, own it soup to nuts. So if I need Ron to collaborate with me um, and Ron's super busy, I have to find ways to um, make the space in Ron's day that, to help get this done. It's not that I can point at Ron and say, well, I couldn't get this done because Ron wouldn't work. But no, I have to own it. And so it's that real sense of personal accountability rather than finger pointing weaponized accountability. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And, but I'm curious on the balance of, so when you have personal accountability, you know, is it light oversight? How do you ensure that that person is holding themselves accountable and delivering to what they were, they said they're going to be accountable for? What's the balance? Right. That, that's, that's where some of the new um, processes come into place. So you can help um, with some checks and balances through thinking about performance differently. So coming in here, there was a very traditional performance management system, annually based, ratings, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's one of the things that we've changed. It's one of the first things that we changed. And so now we've shifted to a quarterly cadence because um, really I think the, the people who have a, a annual system tend to be overly ambitious, right? You start out the year, you can figure out and do these 72 things, and then you get the ungodly scramble at the end of the year when people realize they actually couldn't get those 72 things done. Putting it on a quarterly basis, people are more realistic because you've got 12 week blocks. So how much can I get done in this period? And it helps form a natural prioritization against those things that have the biggest impact on moving forward. In that conversation, we also introduced not just the what, which is the goals, but the how. So we started to try and take those values that are otherwise just stuck on a wall and bring them to life and say, look, both of these things matter. The what and the how matter. And we're going to talk about those on a quarterly basis. Interesting. And, you know, when I go back to um, my first entrepreneurial career in the private security industry, it was late in the game before we figured out because it was self accountability, but there was even in the quarterly, we switched to quarterly goals, but there was this gap, this gap of, okay, Caroline, you chose that goal. We, we might've signed off on it. Great. But the check-in, so we had a, we had a weekly cadence of how are you doing with this project? How are you doing with this project? And you, you, you know, sometimes you'd say, oh, I haven't had time. Oh, it's so busy. I mean, we'd, we'd get into that. We couldn't, and I remember reading a book called 4DX, which talked about creating these leading indicators. What is the one, yeah. what is the leading indicator? But I, I, I couldn't tie that back to projects versus a sales role. Leading indicator was how many calls they were going to make. And if you did these four things, you got to that goal. But if you right. had to re rebuild onboarding or customer experience, it, it doesn't necessarily have a leading indicator. And I, I think the book says that, that it's a gap. And so what we did is we started to scorecard things and we'd say, okay, yep. Caroline, if, if it's 
you know, to recreate onboarding, then we, we do percentage complete. And what's the one item you need to do that moves you from five to right. 10%? Is that a strategy you use or what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And, and listen, we're still learning with this because this is new to everybody in the business. And yeah. so say so we're not perfect out the gate. Nothing is. And that's actually one of the things about changing anything, right? I mean, you, you I, I always look at it that you have to walk through the valley of death before you get out the other side, because there are always going to be gremlins and you just have to stay the course and help people get accustomed to a new way of doing things. Because people's first reaction is always no, right? And what right. are you doing messing? my stuff and so um look as we go through this we're helping people to understand a lot of people aren't used to creating really good goals for a start and so this is a learning process across the board so how do you create really clear relevant goals that that um, are executable how do you measure those clearly and crisply um and how do you provide that continuous feedback loop that, that creates a no surprises culture, right? So Caroline knows in Q1 that she has five goals. Three of those she's knocking out really well. Two of those are a bit wobbly, right? And, and, and not necessarily on track. And so, you know, always having that awareness of where an associate needs help in breaking through some obstacles to get their goal achieved or, um, perhaps is missing on the skill front. And so part of it, Ron, is, is just um, doing it and learning as we go, I think, and getting better each time we do it. The second one is layering in other things that will help people understand. Anything you can do to give people greater self-awareness is always going to help with all of these different processes. So helping people learn more about themselves and, and what's, some of the, what's some of the tips on that? Sorry, huh? what, what do you do when you say that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking and I can't yeah. grab on something? How, what are some of the things that we can do to uh, allow people to be more, more self-aware? What have you seen or what, what, what have you seen working or what yep. are you guys doing? Yeah, there's a bunch of different things. Um, and, and that self-awareness comes both on the skill side for me as well as the behavior side. Um, and so let me use an example from talent. So uh, you may be familiar with the nine box. I certainly grew up with the nine box. No. So this, is, this is nine boxes that um, place people on there from a talent uh, standpoint in terms of high, medium, or low potential and um, look also at performance, right? High, medium, low. And you plot everybody on this nine box. And that has traditionally been the way in which people have approached talent management. So we have the nine box. From the nine box, we then think about, are we compensating our high potentials right, et cetera, et cetera. What I have found with that, though, is it tends to be one of those big exercises in a business that then gets stuck on a bookshelf and not really used, right? And part of that is because you're putting apples, pears, oranges, and bananas on the same chart. If you think about it from a skill standpoint, an engineer has completely different skill set from an HR person or a salesperson or a finance person. So why do you want to compare them in that way? The second piece is it's internally focused. So you're entirely drinking your own bathwater without thinking of <clears throat> what matters externally. And external matters more because if you're wanting prospective new customers, 
they're going to see who's still in the best team on the block, right? And coming up with the best product, or they'll move on to the next guy. So, so what we uh, are looking at and, and are beginning to roll through the business is something that focuses on critical skills. So we've thrown out the nine box. And why does that matter? Well, if you can understand what the critical skill sets are for engineers, salespeople, HR people, and look at that, then you're actually getting some very helpful data, both for the business and the associate. So now I can say, okay, when we look at engineering, here are the towering strengths, their strategic advantage, and here's where we've got gaps. And then we need to figure out with those gaps, are they things that are, are, are really um, high strategically in terms of the risk? So do we need to do an acquisition? Do we need to hire external talent? Are there things that we can train to fill the gap? The associate then also knows, here's me, Caroline. Here are my towering strengths. Here's where I'm not so good. Here's some of the things that matter in that, that I need to go figure out how to build those skills. And here are things that I'm just going to strategically make sure there are others on the team that can cover off. So you get a SWOT for the entire business that looks at your strengths, your gaps, um, thinks about what those mean from a competitive standpoint and provides roadmap for how you're going to deal with that, both at the individual level and business level. Mm. Yeah, yeah, interesting. That's a great tool. Yeah. So, so that, you know, we, so we pepper these things in so that we can help people understand more of themselves, more about themselves. <clears throat> and really, you're trying to enable success, right? Mm -hmm. So this isn't about changing people. It's about having people understand who they are and what their skills and strengths are, and then figuring out how to make them as effective as they can be, given who they are. Right. We're not in the business of trying to change anyone. And, you know, it's interesting because this is back to designing versus being default. And obviously, this is very thoughtful. And there's a process around it. So it's great. Because it, it is important. I want to go back to the initial point of you joining because of this strong mission. And a lot of companies have yes. great missions or purpose. Absolutely. But if they if you land there, and, and I'll, I'll take a quote from, uh, I don't know if you've read Nine Lies About Work, uh, Ashley Goodall and Marcus Buckingham. But one of the lies says that people, the lie is that people actually care about where they work. And they said that that's a lie. People don't care. They join because of this purpose, this mission. But if you join the company and you don't enjoy working with your team and your leader, it's death by a thousand cuts. What are your thoughts on that? Would you agree? Disagree? Um, I disagree, probably. Um, in that, look, this is a tough industry. As I said, we affectionately call it the solar coaster. And so it has up cycles, down cycles. And people have stayed through hell and high water, right? Um, because they passionately believe in um, making better solar that meaningfully supports the fight against climate change, you know, and creates this legacy for um, those that follow us. It, it, and it is a passion and it is a belief. And, and look, I mean, you'll go through a lot if that's called who you are. But, I, you know, when, when you say that, I, I, I'm envisioning someone working super hard, long hours, but I still, yeah. I'm going to make the assumption that if I was, if I joined that, you're pretty purposeful about the culture. You know, it had a foundation. It sounds like you're helping to, to upskill and, and upgrade the culture. And so I'm assuming that the, the team's probably pretty good, plus or minus, you know, like it probably has yeah. that aspect, no? But you have a common purpose yeah. as well, right? Mm -hmm. So you're working with people 
who essentially believe the same thing that you do. Right. Right. And so that I think is very strong glue. That is very strong glue. And um, that is central to who we are. And I think, look, I mean, there's been a lot uh, recently in the press about forced labor, for example. We absolutely take a stand on those issues too, right? So um, with the, the largest solar company in the Western Hemisphere, uh, next comes China, and we use zero forced labor in any part of anything we do. And we're adamant about that. There are other companies that do use forced labor. So all these things uh, continuously come up. And people's um, central glue of, I'm in this because I believe profoundly in not just solar, but better solar, that does not make use of forced labor, that doesn't do any of these things, um, is pretty profound. And then it's clean solar, right? So, so that's super important to people, and I do think it holds people. Yes, I do. Right, you know, yeah, even right. when things are bad, even when we've had to do layoffs, even when we've had to do all those things. Of course, you'll get some people leaving, right? But, but it's not that um, we have skyrocketing attrition rates in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very interesting, and I think it makes sense. You know, I, I understand that they are that they've joined this company for something bigger than themselves. It's to make an impact yeah. on the planet, impact globally, impact for their children, their their grandchildren, the future. And so yeah. I, I absolutely, I think it's crystal clear that the power of purpose, power of mission, having the right mission, yeah. right purpose really um, can attract and retain people, right? Um, yeah, and I, I, I listen, I, I mean, I, I commend our associates for that. I mean, it's a great passion to have. I'd also say, look, if you look at not-for-profit businesses, I mean, why, why are people there then? I mean, you know, they're there for a mission. Right. They're not there for the rewards. Yeah, and but, you know, I've seen the other side where I've seen people work at nonprofit that had horrible cultures and they left. They couldn't deal with it. There was passive aggressive leadership and they mm-hmm. didn't like the team. So they did leave. They, they loved, that's why they joined, but it was death by, it was, I think, in that case, uh, to the book, they, I think that was correct. They just said, geez, I just don't enjoy this team. I can't, it, it now is weighing on me too much. The, I was, I, when I landed here, I was all about the purpose, the mission. Now my, I don't like my day to day anymore. I don't like my interactions. And now this is now, you know, that scale, that balance scale is, is on the wrong side, yeah. you know? Look, I mean, I think if you've got a toxic culture, that's yes. probably true. Right. But, but it's a matter of degrees. I don't think it's a true statement blanket. For sure, if you've got a toxic culture, if there's bullying, if there's, you know, a bunch of stuff going on, then somebody's going to vote with their feet and leave. Yeah, there, there was a book called, I think it was called Bad Blood, and I joined the read, but it was about Theranos. Have you read that? And about, you know, they were doing the, the blood, um, they had the, the, the uh, they, they could... I forget what the the technology was supposed to do, but it could it could read your blood very quickly and diagnose different things. But the culture was so toxic, you know, people hated working there, and they were suing their employees. It was it was really bad. Yep. Um. So, uh, you talked about this uh, phrase, um, corporitis. Cor- am I saying that right? I can't say corporatitis, and and you're referring to. Um, starting off being an agile company and then and then having bureaucracy take over, or, or can you explain more? What does that mean? Kind of. I think it's a risk for all 
corporates, right, as they grow. Because when you start out in a business and haven't done it myself, I mean, you are um, super lean. You are um, not confined by the sort of thought process that says, I have to have a big budget in order to do anything because your reality is you don't. <laughs> and so you figure out ways to make a splash, to get things done and to move forward. Um, what I just have observed over the years in, in quite a lot of companies is that you can become part of the fabric to the extent that you feel disempowered and unable to move forward without um, the budget, without everything else that becomes a part of living in a corporate, right? And so, you know, if the, if the uh, budget is cut by a, a, a small amount or if your computer has issues, you know, these are traumatic problems that, that I think are overscaled. Oversized for 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 what they actually are. You know, if 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 I'm running a business and I'm having computer issues, I'm going to find a different way to get to my customers. I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to do whatever it takes because I don't have time to get wrapped up in, you know, oh my goodness, a sense of entitlement perhaps around all these things should be working and I should have exactly what I need. And so, how do we get out in front of that? Is that something that you screen for and then onboard and say, hey, Ron, like you know, just so you know, here's the mindset, you know, this is going to happen. Let's talk about this early stages. In some cases, we cut budgets. In some cases, there's no budget. We want you to be creative. How, how do you get in front of that from a mindset yeah. and execution perspective? That's a really good question. Um, I have no silver bullet for that, um, but, but it's something that I'm trying to think through at the moment because for sure, I think you can probably ascertain from a screening standpoint, people. Uh, mental agility, if you like, and flexibility and and um, appetite for working in more volatile situations, right? Different situations and um, how well they are um, prepared to react in those circumstances. You know, so I think it, there's a lot of different aspects to this. We, uh, this may be an interesting strategy. So we'll, we'll, when we interview candidates for roles, sometimes we'll do one of two things. And we, you know, they're really real-time case studies. So we'll present a past problem that we've solved. You know, maybe this is a no-budget situation and and we've already solved it and we'll, we'll allow them, we'll, we'll present the case study in, into a candidate and, and allow them to ask clarifying questions and have them solve the problem. And we'll know whether they solved it probably better than we have in the past or not as good or... And then sometimes we'll we'll present real problems, things that are keeping us up at night, and that we get a ton of value, you know. So maybe this is a situation where there is no budget, and how would you how would you still power through? Right, <clears throat> that's worked for us. It's been it's been a great strategy, and and it helps us get a return on investment in the in the interview uh, process. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great idea, and and we uh, do through different sort of case studies that people. Um, particularly for some of the more senior roles. The, yeah. the, like, I mean, the other interesting thing is I think we're all human. And so we tend to take things personally. And that's a challenge in the workplace, right? You cut my budget. Well, you know, is that a judgment on me and what I'm doing and my function and et cetera, et cetera. And you, and you can't, you can't take it personally. This is work. This is business, right? The yeah. business needs to allocate dollars to growth. 
And so, you know, I think if you can stop taking it personally and just say, okay, so this is my target, this is my new reality, how do I now operate within that? Hmm. You're going to be more successful and um, less anxious. Right. Yeah, of course. And so, so you're in an innovative space. Yeah. Um, how do you stay agile? Because that's got to be key, right? Going back to the drawing board all the time, driving innovation, speed. You know, how how do you stay agile so that 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 innovative process doesn't become bureaucratic? I hear some larger companies they grow and they're like, we we drive innovation. Someone just has to write a ten page, you know thesis on what they want to do and present it to a committee and then it takes three months and then it just it kills innovation what's the balance as you scale yeah i mean look that is always a risk but i think it's trying to protect those parts of the business that are core to innovation and making sure they don't get too bound up um obviously there have to be some processes that, that cut across the board you know around compensation sense of fairness for associates etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, and and things that are compliance and regulatory uh, related. But you do want to make sure that your uh, innovating functions have um, the, 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 the um, ability to still do what they do without getting caught up in a lot of other noise. And to your point, I think it's important that everybody in the leadership team uh, recognizes the importance of that in innovation and stays engaged, right? It's not the job of the R&D people to educate everybody else, although they do that helpfully on occasion, but you want to sort of keep people out of their way and help them do what they need to do, whilst understanding strategically that you stay aligned. Mm, interesting. And let's go to, you know, I guess stay on this path. Uh, I Tell us more about your approach to talent management. Yeah. Um, look, it's, again, it's trying to make it relevant to the business, right? So I don't want to spend, waste people's time in hours of a process that isn't going to lead to any output that's meaningful and helpful to the business. And so hence why we dispense the nine box. Because if we're going to take people, the, the most precious thing people have is time. And it's what they have the least of. So back to the innovation piece, if I'm going to wrap these guys up in anything, I want it to be something that produces a value-added output for the business that is going to help move the business forward. And that's why we um, scrapped the traditional approach and moved into thinking about the critical skills and being able to produce this SWOT analysis for the business that helps us truly understand where we've got competitive strengths and where we're gapping so that we can quickly then take action on those areas where we're gapping. And it also stops you from boiling the ocean, right? I mean, we tend to produce all this data and, and try and attack multiple things simultaneously. Some of it doesn't matter, frankly. So, so leave it alone and focus in on the areas that are really going to make a difference for the business. So let me play that back to you. When, when, when someone comes up with a goal and, and they may create their own, it sounds like, you know, management's uh, support or guidance is to check and balance that with, is there going to be a positive outcome to the organization? If not, maybe that's the wrong goal or did I get it wrong? Well, it, that's prioritization. So they're two different things, right? With the talent management piece, what we're looking for is where we're strong so we can leverage the heck out of that mm -hmm. and where we have gaps so that we can figure out 
quickly how to address those to increase our competitiveness and, and make us better as an organization from a skill standpoint. From a performance standpoint, with regard to goals, we look at this in a sort of layered fashion, right? We're all pulling toward um, winning as a company. So there's a piece that binds us together. There's a piece that is team-based often. If you think of functions like R&D, they're very team-based in terms of the work that they're doing. And there are individual um, components to that. So some, you have subject matter experts who are very specific in a, a certain field. And so we take account of that in the goal setting process. What we're trying to do by putting these shorter timeframes in is help people think about what am I doing, right? And, and of that, what is gonna have the most impact against the things that we need to achieve? That's what I need to prioritize in my goals each quarter, Got it. right? And what have the results been of that? So far, we've had a very high level of engagement. As I said, we're still, we're new in this, so we're yeah. still learning in terms of really fine tuning those goals, metrics, and the feedback loops. But, um, you know, there are parts of the business that really have this down already, mm. and I've seen pretty good dividends from it. And, and what's one of the lessons you've seen so far as you've gone down this journey to say, oh, oh, you know, We've had to adjust. What was something that uh, you had to pivot or learn from the process and, and had to make an adjustment with? Yeah. Look, I think all of it, when you introduce anything new, you always underestimate the, 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 the seismic shift that that's going to take in, in each person in the business because it is new. So most uh, difficulties stem from miscommunication or misunderstanding. So uh, clarification constant ongoing clarification and reinforcement, I think are key because people, I, I believe everybody comes into work with good intent. I don't think anybody comes in with a mindset of I'm going to do the, the worst job I can possibly do today or, or that individual is extremely rare. And so if you assume good intent, most of these things come off the rails somewhat because somebody has misunderstood what they're supposed to be doing. Right. Or a leader is challenged with how to give um, feedback and, and needs to upskill in that area. And so it's a combination of those kinds of things that you constantly have to be working with the business to, to help with. That's great. Uh, Caroline, is anything that we haven't talked about today that you think would be uh, helpful for the listeners? Um, uh, look, I, I think the ability to pivot is absolutely key. And I think COVID actually gave us a great example of that because uh, overnight, I mean, to, again, take our business, we're a manufacturing business, so we have to have people in the workplace. Right. But your ability to pivot and, uh, again, stay mission-based, stay, stay um, true to your values and say, look, you know, we always talk about our people being the most important thing, but that means in this situation that their health and safety is the most important thing. So how can we keep this business running without putting our associates in danger? And so um, then very quickly moving to, there are some people actually that we can get out of the workplace that minimizes the number of people in there. And so those who do have to come in are safer, right? Here's all the PPE. When everybody ran out of hand sanitizer and it, it wasn't available, we made our own, right? I mean, there's any number of different pivots in there. Mm, that's an interesting pivot. 
the backflips people did in supply chain because, you know, you've got solar panels on the ship, somebody gets sick on the ship, now you've got big delays. How do you pivot out of that? And so, so that is so key in an industry like ours. Right. How do you make that pivot? How do you problem solve? How do you look at something and say, look, like a problem is only an opportunity with multiple solutions. And so, so that to us is invaluable, that, that capability. That's great. Carolyn, look, thanks so much. This has been a great conversation. Uh, I've appreciated all the topics that we dove deep into, and I've certainly learned a lot today. So, so thank you so much for, uh, for, for being on the show today. Me too. And it's really a pleasure. Thank you so much again for the invite. It, it's great to do. Thank you. For more information about Carolyn or anything else related to scaling culture, please visit the show description. And if you're enjoying the Scaling Culture podcast, please subscribe. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.